Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your gaming podcast where you get to make tremendous fortresses and let people beat the hell out of you. Okay, we're going to limp back there. Wait a minute. Did we didn't buy band-aids? What? Did we forget to stock them? <laughs> of course we did, because we had to have all of that uh, screech uh, uh, booze of yours, Trav. Oh, yeah. It is antiseptic. There's no, it is antiseptic. That's good. All right. Uh, welcome to Gaming on the Frontier. This week, we are talking about building a base. Uh, and, of course, that's going to depend an awful lot on what the game is and what the genre is and all that rest of it. So let's get into it. So, uh, so like I said, so you, I think you need some kind of a front-facing, you know, part of your base. Whether it's that that uh, fake newspaper that they have for uh, Team Fremont, or uh, is it could be, uh, like I said, the veterinarian clinic, or it could be, uh, you know, uh, an herb shop, even a bookstore. Well, for Carson City. Um Okay, this is Bureau Thirteen Black Powder, and in my in the the Friday night game I just wrapped up for uh, that Bureau Thirteen game, it you know Lung's clean laundry, Mister Lung, the old Chinese guy who ran the laundry, and he was like ninety years old, and no spoiler alert here, folks, he was actually a ten thousand year old dragon in human form, but. Yeah, underneath that Lung's Clean Laundry, you had a vault. You had a medical area. You had, you know, a cooking area. The chef just happened to be possessed by, you know, the ghost of a Roman soldier. Fine, but, you know, things like that happened in Bureau 13. You had, uh, what else? A jail area to keep, you know, just certain things that, you know, you couldn't put in the normal who's go up there on the street in Carson City. So, yeah, that's another front. They had the, the Chinese laundry because back in Carson City in the 1890s, and I had to do the research for this, one out of every five citizens was Chinese. So you knew you were going to have a Chinese laundry there and that high contingent of people from China, the immigrants, a lot of them were working on the railroads there leading to and from the silver mines. You know, the bureau agents there, when Horace Gordon was running the Western Division office, yeah, he knew he had the local immigrants behind him because Director Gordon was a good friend of Mr. Lung, who was a respected member of the Chinese community there in Carson City back in 1889, I think it was. So right. yeah, having good relations with the people around you, if you're going to have a base in an urban area, yeah, and I mean, depending on the, the type of people, the stuff you can get, I mean, you may be able to just get, you know, look and, and look at Chinese medicine. I mean, I'm sure that he probably, you know, had the best herbs and everything, and Chinese medicine does some amazing things from what I hear, so. Yeah, it can. You know, again, if, if it's done well, sure, sure. 
So, you know, but, you know, you see my point, Jonathan, about it's good to have a public face on your oh, base. Yeah. So, uh, I would say the only thing is if, if you are doing a, um, a public face um, and you are trying to remain secret, you definitely want it to be a store that doesn't have a lot of business. I wouldn't put a Starbucks over my base. There's a running joke that Pixie and I have. Nearby, there is an electronics store. It's called the Electronics Connection. Now, this store has been there, and I'm, I just, I'll be 51, and I know this store has been there for at least 40 years. And, and it's a running joke with Pixie and I when she's out with me. Holy crap, there's four cars in the parking lot. How this store remains open is beyond me. Mm-hmm. And my daughter, you know, I would, when I'd pick her up, you know, we'd see, and the first thing she says, mom says it's a CIA drop. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting there and because my daughter's played in my Bureau 13 games, it's, you know, where you raise the finger and open the mouth like, she may be right. Damn it. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, it's a business that, you know, just, yeah, as I said, four cars that one day, Josie and I were shocked. But, yeah, businesses like that, you wonder how they, they stay open. Well, it's because they're a front for, you know, Bureau 13 or whatever. So, yeah. Right. It's like a, they mentioned, I think it was in the 92 edition, but in Detroit, um, Beckley's Auto Repair. And underneath, yeah, it was this, you know, crappy old garage, you know, looked like it was built in the 20s and it was in disrepair, but it was still open. Yet it never seemed to have any real business. It's because it was a bureau supply dump. The mechanic was a retired agent. So, okay. So, uh, Jonathan, you know, can you think of a list of uh, places that would be good fronts that that you know, you know that that wouldn't get a a lot of traffic, but at the same time would be justifiably big enough to be able to serve your needs at least, you know, uh, to to hide the secret entrances to the other parts of the. Of the place. Well, I know in, in my area, there's a, amusingly enough, there's a um, comics and hobby shop that is fairly large because rent in this particular area is pretty low. And there's not a lot of comics and gamers in my area. Okay. So that's one option. It, it Part of it would depend on just the population dynamics of where you are, but... Uh, let's see what else would be good. Uh, we, we've already mentioned like an auto repair shop. Uh huh. We've already mentioned the um, laundry, uh, dry cleaning. Yeah. Right. Well, anything that basically you walk through the front door and you stop and don't go any further. Right. You know, you, you could just have a, a couple of people that were hired to just stand there and, and basically be the front. Be the front. Kinkos. Oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Oh, I'm reminded of um, and I'm I'm down the wayback machine a little bit here. If you remember Remo Williams, the office where Smith had his office, where oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it was an old bank, or what was another one? One of my favorite fandoms as of late, Person of Interest, where Finch bought out the old library because it was in sort of an escrow limbo. So you just went around to the back, and yeah, you had the, you had that base that was right there, central, but nobody knew it was there because it was abandoned and shut down for twenty years. Or later in the series, the old subway station that got sealed off, where you still had power because you could tap into the third rail, 
but you had to go through a series of various little areas, including hitting a combination on an old vending machine and it would fold back and you'd crawl through the, the passageway. So, uh-huh. yeah, things. Oh, no, that was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was thinking like, um, like, for example, a framing shop. You know, how many people actually go and go out and buy special frames for their pictures? You know, so um, and you basically walk in and they got a wall full of all kinds of corners and things like that. And and uh, you don't ever see what goes on in the back. You're banging sounds of metal going. You're like, okay, they're making frames. You know, you don't know unless you hear people screaming. You know, you don't assume anything's going on back there. You know, Uh, you know, uh, I. No, nothing that nothing that would be like a home fix it place because there'd be too many people in there browsing. Oh, yeah. Okay. See, that was the problem I had with your game shop is is that you know there's always people that browse those things and you, you might want to get rid of them real quick. So uh, the yeah, uh, that was the, basically the, definitely based off my area where it's one of those shops where it's like how are they still open? I see yeah. maybe the proprietor and maybe one other person in there at any time. Yeah, uh, you. There is a place in a uh, in a mall near me, which is like a museum of African history, and uh, I, and I'm not saying that's not important, but I'm saying you place that into a certain demographic, and that that nobody will ever darken that doorway. This is, and actually, you just yeah. made me realize yeah. malls in general are starting to see a huge decrease in attendance. Yeah. Oh, no, Jonathan, there was a site for the longest time, and sadly the site is gone now, deadmalls.com, where (laughs) it would have pictures of malls that weren't open anymore. Here in the Detroit area, we had four malls. North, they were all lands, like Northland, Southland, Eastland, Westland. The Northland Mall got imploded two years ago. East, South, and Westland are still open. Westland Mall is just down the road for me. So, yeah, I mean, malls... The Livonia Mall, I went there and like half, more than half the stores were closed. Matter of fact, the stores that were still open there were only open, let's see, when I walked in there, and that was a while back. They've since destroyed the mall and it's now the Livonia Marketplace. But like, oh, these stores are only open like Tuesday through Thursdays. Yeah, sometimes only on the weekends. Yeah, and it blew my mind because I'd been there, you know, a few years before and it was a fully functioning mall, everything. I go back there and I visited and I was just stunned. Right. And it was funny. The one thing that they had on deadmalls.com, and sadly, as I said, the site's gone. You remember the Blues Brothers scene where they went crashing through the mall? Uh-huh. Yeah. People who ran the site recreated that exact route that Belushi and Ackroyd made, and they timed it up with the clip from the movie. So they're, they're driving in their car through this abandoned mall in time to... The big chase scene. <laughs> but yeah, a mall would be, a, an old mall would be a wonderful place to do. Oh, what was another one? Another good base. Dark Man. You remember that? I remember Dark Man, but I don't remember where his base was. It was an old factory where he set up the machinery that made his uh, synth skin masks. Oh, yes. Yeah. And his, you know, for the hands and everything. And of course, they only lasted 99 minutes, but still, he could, he, he set up all of the machinery and everything in this factory tapped into the power and, you know, he was conversant enough in the technology where he could rehook it all back up and make these masks again. So, yeah, it was in town, but hidden away because the factory had been abandoned for a few years. Right. 
you know, and there's there are, I mean, if you go by industrial parks or office parks, you'll see like, you know, building after building after building with these weird nondescript names on the front of them, you know, and with uh, darkened windows or windows with shutters on them. And you're like, does anybody ever <laughs> do they do do they do business there or what is in the, in the industrial park that my job is based in uh just north of uh Detroit Metro Airport I you know I obviously don't need to go down the rest of the street I just turn into you know my parking lot but you can see down the excuse me little dead end street there's like three four buildings back there that all have leases and they've been for lease now for years those would be wonderful places I mean, they're they're close enough to major major roads, and the road my job is on is a very major one because it's it leads to an Amazon distribution center. Uh-huh. So you got trucks there constantly, and of course it's near Detroit Mer- Metro Airport, so there's always traffic. But yeah, it's just enough off the beaten path. Nobody pays attention to what's an industrial park unless they got business there. Right. Right. And and if you're really smart, then you you get like one of those buildings that has like four suites in it. It's it's a fairly large building as a result, and you you rent them under four di- four different names, four different businesses, and one of them is your main interest, and everything else you just block off and you put holes through walls. And people, if they if they ever come to it, they don't realize how big the place actually your base actually is because you're in all these other these other suites which belong to other companies and appear not to be part of the one that they might be investigating. Um, I remember with the Baxter building and the Fantastic Four, Reed Richards would actually have a couple of floors rented out to other, and they were legitimate. They actually operated from within the Baxter building. And of course, that was additional revenue for, you know, Reed to fund his experiments and stuff. But yeah, there were actually, I mean, obviously they had the deal every so often. It's like, you know, they'd have the the, the building association meeting and, okay, Dr. Richards, you know what? This is the third extra-dimensional invasion we've had. We're trying to run a printing company here, and we can't be having demons trying to eat the presses. You need to, you know, curb this down some. You know, things yeah, like that. Right. They're curdling the ink, Dr. Richard. Exactly, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> and your Rocky friend, yeah, I don't know if he's got a skin condition, but we're finding pebbles all over, you know, in the kitchen. He's got a sweet dust buster that stuff up, you know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and how many times has the fire sprinkler been set off this yeah, week? That, that, thank you. Yeah, that, I, I didn't want to uh, steal and go yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. yeah um, hey, hey, Lon, it's not just for breakfast anymore. Oh, but yeah, you have, um, I like the, the fake extra businesses, but it, depending on your your status and, the, and the, the type of campaign, you could have other real business. Now, obviously, like something Bureau 13 you may not want those other businesses nearby because it's like, did we see you, you know, drag somebody in a in a in a wolf suit through the back entrance? And then you gotta come up with, well, yeah, it was a costume party, he was drunk, we had to throw him on a cot, you know, you know, you gotta come up with, you know, the web of lies, you know. So it depends on your type of campaign if you want other people there in your base with you publicly running a business and you just happen to be there too. Isn't this like the third costume party this month? Yeah, and it and it and it's May, sir. Just you know, yeah, we have a problem well, here. Well, we, we we actually have a business associated with these kinds of special parties. They're called role playing, you know, uh, live action role playing games. I, you know. I used to run one. <laughs> All right. So uh, okay, but 
So, I mean, yes, you got to be careful, but I really like the idea of having some kind of outward facing, you know, interface with the surrounding community because they, uh, it, it, first of all, it, it's, it, it can, it can be a detriment because, you know, you don't want to hurt these people. You know, you don't want someone to get mad at you for some reason and come in and just basically take out all your neighbors. Uh, but at the same time, this is that, you know, they're there to help you and you can show your support to them. And it's all, and a lot of times it's best to hide in plain sight because, you know, the, the house is out all by, you know, the, the, all by itself and nobody ever goes there. You know, that, that only really flies in like Alaska and New England, anywhere where any of the, uh, uh, <laughs> Any of those stories have been written you know, where, you know, so they're, they're you know, the, the children are all odd looking, but the neighbors are like, oh, that's just them. <laughs> they just got the end's mouth look, that's all. Yeah, it's all, it's, it's fine. fine. <laughs> it's like, I, I always, I, I'm always amazed at that because, you know, at the end, they're always like so shocked, you know, he's got an extra tentacle coming out of his chest. And I'm like, an extra tentacle coming out of his chest? How many do you have, sir? <laughs> Two's just, just fine, but once you get to that third one, it's weird. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, um, you're going to end up with a lot of weird stuff. Um, uh, there are very few places in the world where you can really hide that kind of weirdness and people don't really just go and say whatever. Richard played off of that so many times when he had like aliens come to uh, New York City and they said was, well, you know, it's spaceship did take off from Long Island, but you know, it's New York. <laughs> yeah, New that, Yorkers are blasé, but that blasé-ness only goes so far. Two of my former gamers... The wife was from Brooklyn. The husband was from Bedford Stuy. Now, yeah, they'd see in New York, you can say you've seen it all, but no, just after a while, it's like, okay, you you're you've beat that dead horse with them not noticing anything. After a while, they're gonna go, something's not right here. <laughs> Might want to take another look at that. Right. So you don't want to be too outrage, basically, is what I'm saying with your base. Okay. You know, and that's a problem when it comes to defending your base because, um, you know, unless you, unless you've gotten some real, you know, you, you've been able to put up the big 20 foot tall wall, you know, walls of the block site. It's really hard to put in those, you know, uh, those missile silos and, and those pods that pop up out of the ground and provide all kinds of cover support and stuff. And of course, you know, I mean, only if you're doing some kind of like, you know, south of the border, uh, you know, uh, uh, base for the, 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 uh, the rebellion, you don't have, you know, like in Fallout, uh, any of the Fallout games where you had the ability to make your own bases, they, they had machine gun nests all over the place and, and, and robotic machine gun pods and missile pods and things like that all over the place. It's like, you know, you can do that. But most people would be like, okay, it's time to call the National Guard in. This ain't, this ain't right. So providing protection to your... Um, your place of business could be really hard to do. Um, I uh, I would recommend in most cases uh, going as um, as passively as you can, like you know uh, build build really big walls, 
uh, maybe um, electrified uh, passageways, gas. Gas is probably one of your best bets there, but that's pretty that's pretty easy to defeat those. The problem, um, because you know, if it comes down to where something is actually attacking you, uh, you're going to need to be either you got to be ready to just bug out immediately, or you're going to need to be able to hold it, and that means some really strong, you know, really strong walls, really strong foundations. And maybe even some of those special fabric coverings that they can roll down over, over the walls of buildings to protect them from mortar fire and even missile attacks. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Trav or John. Hmm. I say I have. Yeah, they're, they're basically like a big, it's like a big rug. And you could just basically roll it down the side of the building and it'll, no, no, it does two things. One is, is that if they manage to get an explosive inside the building, it keeps the building from blowing out, basically raining oh, okay. masonry uh -huh. all over the people that are outside defending and the surrounding neighborhood. If it's if it gets hit from the outside, it basically takes the brunt. It may cause some damage to the walls, but it doesn't punt. Let them, it doesn't let like missiles and things like that punch through. Now, someone fires, you know, a a, a, a cannon, you know, a, a cannon shell at you. That's going through. But like a lot of missiles, don't have the the uh, kinetic energy they rely on explosive and that won't actually get through these wall coverings and, okay. and yeah oh. and uh, there's this uh, they use them um, like a let, let's say they they go uh, you have like uh, marines or whatever like that they go into an area uh, like Afghanistan they need to they, they make this is going to be our base for a while okay so they just take a building and they start rolling this stuff out inside and outside and when they're done, then basically someone could like, you know, fire missiles at the, the building and the building will take some damage, but it's not going to collapse. It's not going to bust through. It's not going to kill everybody in your command center. So, you know, you can have this kind of thing on in, in like some kind of a false um, layer up where the attic is and roll it out, you know, down the sides if necessary. If it if if it comes if push comes to shove, or you could build it inside of a false layer where you have like a just like they put it like a layer of uh, of, of um, insulation, uh, and then they put the outside layer of the house, right, right, like ready plank or you know a siding and stuff like that. You could do that also that way, where basically the outside of the house can get blown off, revealing this inner layer, and then inside that layer is where the concrete and rebar is. That's the real structural support of the house. So, yeah, you can uh, layer your protections, and it's actually pretty easy to hide. The hardest part is actually the concrete work because, you know, yeah. that... Yeah, I mean, concrete doesn't compress. <laughs> you, you, you really, uh, you know, it's really hard to hide. You know, uh, you know, two five hundred bags of concrete. You know, so again, that's where you're kind of like have to come up with. We're putting in a swimming pool, and then you and, and then you just hide how many uh, how many concrete trucks you're bringing in. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how you'd pull that off, but I mean, that I know that when people talk about making bases, that's one of the things that they do. Is that they, uh, uh, they, they, they have to, they, they say, we're going to put it in a pool, you know, 
for no other reason than to to, to, to be why you know or we're we're building a, a garage you know we have to lay down a lot of slab that's a I mean, mighty big garage you're building there bob yeah well we got or you, you're say pool oh good you're having a pool party let me know <laughs> and you got neighbors now that won't leave you alone yeah yeah now actually one of the one of the things that takes the most amount of space and actually um uh, but isn't really that big is a plane hanger. If for any reason you can justify having a plane on your property, you could build a big old hanger, and under underneath that slab can be quite a base. And you always have that plane to take off with if you need to. Yeah, yeah. So uh, now again, there are ways of getting around this a lot. You know, if you're in. Um, Bureau 13, when we introduced the 13th pocket, you could literally build a base inside the 13th pocket. Yeah, let me go in into my office and get this. And you crawl into your bag and you're, they're like, wait a minute. But when you, sometimes it's like a door. You know, you open the door, and that's the opening to the 13th pocket yeah. inside. Okay. And, and, but then, you know, it's it's actually the the doors against an out uh, 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 the the wall to a storeroom, and you have another door, you know, into that same area, and it's just got regular junk in it. And but but you walk into it, and it's like this big library or whatever. So oh, right. if you have that kind of resources available to you, you should definitely do it because first of all, it's really hard to hit people who are in an interdimensional space. Yeah, and, they, yeah, they tend not, to avoid you know explosions. Things don't transmit very well over over the uh, the the reality barrier. <laughs> okay, yeah. Of course, sometimes you get stuck in there forever, so there's that too to be worried about. But um, and there's usually only one way out, which is another problem. But hey, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's always a good to have that kind of an option where you literally can pull pull the uh, uh, you know. Pull the door in with you. Yeah. Oh, you just reminded me of that um, USA miniseries, The Lost Room. Oh my gosh, that was terrible. I, I don't mean like it was badly written. I just mean just the whole concept of that poor man losing his daughter oh, yeah. in the room because the door shut while she was in there. Oh, yeah. oh, oh that was that I, I was heartrending. I have definitely milked that for ideas over the many years. Oh yeah, yeah. Every object in the room has special powers that have nothing to do with the object. <laughs> This watch he would will go boil an egg. Yes. Or your brain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Uh, so, yeah, protection. You, you know, you're going to have to do your, you're, you're, you're very likely going to have to retrofit an existing structure. And so it's going to be hard to do. You're going to have to think ahead, like, how are you going to do this? Uh, rebar is your friend. Uh, it's easy to put together. It's easy to weld. You just lay, put a layer of that inside of a wall, put another wall on top of it. You've got yourself a lot of protection and it doesn't, it's, it's all things you can actually carry in with you inside of normal trucks. It doesn't have that whole problem with the, uh, with the concrete. And if you do it right, you can actually create a, a really nice ferrety cage. Oh yeah. Yeah. If you live in a certain kind of a if you're in a certain kind of a genre where nuclear bombs are common, <laughs> it keeps your equipment working that that you want to keep working. Or even a Faraday cage. Um, again, person of interest, they had the Faraday cage in the library where Root could not contact the machine because it was a massive metal cage. No signals could get in or out. So right. 
Yeah, and it, and it's 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 not as hard to make as some people make it seem. There's a lot of good videos on YouTube on how to do that. All right, so we've talked about the you know, the uh, now of course once you're inside, okay, you could put all kinds of protection. So whether or not you want to uh, you know put uh, machine gun ports and things like that to fire down your hallways, that's up to you. I'd just be real careful about what AI you're using to run that. Yeah. <laughs> you know. A lot of these games, AIs get 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 squirrely after a while. As long as it's not named Hal or GLaDOS, you should be fine. Yeah. Okay. So, anyways, uh, uh, I like I personally like electrified uh, passageways a lot because you know it's so fun. You know, everyone thinks they're safe, and then they just touch the wall, and pssst, <laughs> you know, you 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 interweave metal fibers in with your uh, uh, your your deep plush rugs, so they don't oh, realize. Oh. Oh. So all you have to do is touch a wall and you've made a circuit. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, the obvious one is always touching the doorknob. That's the one they're always ready for. You know, they always go up there. They get the rubber gloves on, the latex blue gloves, and they turn the doorknob. And they, you know, and they say, yeah, they probably were trying to shock us, but we're, we outfoxed them. Okay. Yeah. No, nobody checks out that that nice silvery glint inside the uh, shag carpeting. Would rubber boots still be of use against that though? It it depends on how high they they reach. Mm, well, yeah, how deep yeah. the how deep the shag is. A lot of people they I mean, if you had, I mean, boot boots are not usually pr protective enough. But you know, I mean, it's you you have to design, you have to take different tacks. Okay. Spraying water on them is actually not a good idea because then uh, it'll probably conduct around the outside of their bodies rather than through their bodies. Right. But if you do, if you spray, you have a spray at a low level, you know, where they're splashing through it or it's just, spray, you know, getting that, yeah, and getting, that, getting, that getting contact that, is getting that boot wet, you know, still providing the, uh, the uh, you know, so you, they still touch the walls or whatever, the stanchions, the, the railings. I like railings that basically have guns hidden in them. You know, as you, as, as you said, you know, the went to the house and pressed the button and everything opened up into a, into a gun supply display case. Okay? Yeah. Uh, I, I've always liked, you know, the, the, the movies where, you know, every, everything has a secret compartment in it. Even the secret compartment has a secret compartment. So, yeah. So, you know, you can, I mean, we got the, we, we got the secret, you know, the, the secret compartment in the heel of the shoe. And we got the tennis shoe that's actually the, the soles are, ther are, are, uh, thermite. You know, we've got the, uh, the black bag, which replaced the, uh, uh, the cigarette pack because that made no sense. It would have weighed three pounds and no cigarette pack weighs three pounds mm -hmm. and, and so forth. Uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, so, and, and uh, I'm saying that most things carrying stuff hidden on your body, unless it's in a 13th pocket, is really hard to do. I mean, I mean, basically, you could have a. It'd be better for you to take a backpack that has regular stuff in it, but a secret a secret compartment in it where you could hide the other stuff, because then they know there's you're carrying something that has stuff in it, and it won't be so too surprising when you find you, you pull something out. They might even search it. But if if all you have is a briefcase and a trench coat. I mean, it's not that hard for someone to figure out that you're carrying, you know, a shotgun. Uh, so that's that's why bases are great because and bolt holes and things like that because then you could be running around grabbing stuff out of places nobody expected there to be something. You know, you you, you pull a, a gun out from underneath a, uh, a a mailbox. You know, one of those 
boxes sitting out on the corner. You know, I'm just I'm reminded of that movie, Mystery Mrs. Smith, now where yep, they're yep. fighting each other in their own home and and accident finding out each other's little hidey holes. Yeah, that was there. <laughs> that was there. Right. No, the other base I like actually it's a mobile one, the Wanderer from the Wild Wild West movie, where they flip the switch and all the panels switch to guns and <laughs> yeah, the train. Oh, yeah, the train was wonderful. I. I mean, a lot of people gave that movie massive amounts of shade. I didn't watch this old series that much. I might have caught a couple bits of some episodes like early morning on TV land. So I didn't have a lot of preconceptions. I thought that train was, it was tricked out to the max. It was fantastic. I love the pool table that the mallet hits you. You get on the pool table, the, the restraints come over and it flips you upside down. So you're facing the tracks as you're moving. <laughs> Well, okay, you know, the the original train in the television series had a lot of that stuff. Not all that stuff, okay? Right. Things like the the pool table. I mean, he had he had like, you know, something like a knife hidden in it or something like that. It, you know, or I think the pool some of the pool balls were actually explosives. Yeah, uh, in the movie it was. I mean, one yeah. was sleep gas, another one was an incendiary grenade. Yeah. Right, right. But I'm just saying is that but there were a lot of secret compartments that would slide out in in that um uh, in that caboose train car, you know. Yeah. So uh, in the regular television series, you know, and Artemis was usually the one who was, who was you know, who would have stuff hidden well, in it. Oh, yeah. And James would come in and suddenly just yank. Absolutely would have all these guns in it. <laughs> He'd go and just fill, fill up his, hol- his various holsters, especially the one, the, the arm thing. I love the arm thing where he had this, the gun that he'd shove it into his hand. Oh, the, yeah, the spring-loaded... Spring, oh, yeah. yeah, oh, I love those, yeah. The spring-loaded holster that would shove a gun into his hand whenever he needed it. Yeah. I always loved that. That was great stuff. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, because you can hide all kinds of stuff all over the place. And, you know, if you do it well, you know, it's going to be a, a controlled, you know, a controlled environment, and that, and you may not have to... You don't have to give it any real maintenance for years. So, you know, assuming that you're able to keep there that long. If you're playing a game like Fringeworthy, where you've set up some kind of a base, you know, we start talking about the middle, the early, middle, and late campaign, and we're talking about a period at least 20 years long, if not 100 years long. So, you know, bases would be built to last. Yeah. 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 So, and, uh, and, and you definitely would, if you're coming from a high-tech culture, like a, a uh, if you're a, a spaceship captain and you're going and most most worlds that you're going to explore, if you're exploring are going to be lower tech cultures because or you're a spy. But I'm just saying is that you know most of the time when you see people going down to planets, you know they're either colonizing those planets or they're making contact with usually people that are a lower tech level and such, and you you, you hide your best stuff usually. Because people will try to take it from you. Yeah, don't. you don't put all your cards out on the table. Come on now. Yeah, but uh, I, I just think it's really important that uh, you know that, that you get in the mindset that we're going to have to hide some stuff uh, because it's it's just so easy to attract the wrong kind of attention if you don't. Oh no, yeah. no. If, if if the the probably the dumbest thing that an en- excuse me an enemy could do is if they find out about a bureau base, that they attack it. And it's like, matter of fact, uh, I've told you, Bruce, that my old Friday game and the Saturday game, 
they're both Bureau 13. They were just like 125 years apart. Uh-huh. And the modern uh, Team Candlestick 2.0 is in the process of refurbishing the old Team 6 gun base from the 1890s. So, yeah, they're finding all these old 1890s gadgets and then updating everything with 21st century Bureau tech, which now, you know, there's going to be just... And, and of course, the type of people I have in my games, more than a few have somewhat of a tech background, which means I'm just like, okay, you show me how this is, where it is online, I'll allow it. And just on the Friday game, oh, man, we had this one guy who's an IT guy and a weapons buff. Oh, it was frightening, the stuff that Matt thought up of just... And, and, and then the modern-day team finds it and goes, this wasn't invented... <laughs> Until 1963. How do you have this back in 1890? You know, time slip. What? Time slip. Well, just, well, what it was, the the gnomes that were near the Carson City, because there were gnomes in the Sierra Nevada in Bureau 13 Black Powder. It's a thing with me. Gnomes are the tech race. That's Uh just how I am in all my campaigns. So the gnomes, besides supplying the Bureau with gold, also were more technologically advanced. So, oh, yes, we have this device here, this spring-loaded, you know. And, of course, I do all my gnomes usually with that voice. Well, you see, you know. <laughs> oh, no, I've got one in, in the, the Friday game, Latchkey Thumbkin. Well, yes, here's this device that we have that allows it, and just they're all like, you do the same. It, it's like, I'm sorry, that's how I hear a gnome when I see them, and it's what they call in Pathfinder a gear gnome. Because they are the, the techie, buildy, clockwork, alchemy type, and they have, like, a guild for everything. Well, yeah, he's over in the planar physics guild, and this one here is in the hydraulics guild, you know. So, yeah, it just, if you are, if you want to plan, if you've got players that are of a tech mindset, and they, yeah, we're going to build a base, let them, because... They're just going to, you're going to have, no, no, don't rest your hand on the counter. Not there. Move it two inches to the right. Yeah. What springs out? Every knife in the drawer. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll be over here. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Let's put a pumpkin in in front of it. See how, see what kind of pattern it makes. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. So, uh, all right. So we talked about the protections. Now, uh, we have, one we have not talked about is the calm gear. So, um, geez, depending on, upon what, you know, level, well, even then, I mean, if you do, if let's say a fantasy game, if you have a room, a, a, a scrying room where you've got a crystal ball or two, or, you know, you know, some other type of like, um, a scrying mirror or something that would be even good just for, and of course, like in Eberron, they had sending stones, which, it would they they put the message spell into these rocks and you could just whisper a message and it would go to another sending stone and it could be hundreds of miles away. The gnomes in Eberron were the ones that were in charge of that. So yeah, if you even a fantasy game, you could do communication, just make it as magic items. And you don't even techno magic. You could just have like, you know, uh in the second world setting, they have something called the blue room, and it's five or six guys with various types of uh, crystal balls, with, because in, in, in Pathfinder you can have crystal balls with added powers, like it might have message or detect thoughts or you know some other psi-based spell. And so you could have that just as, 
okay, we, you know, this is our way of, you know, finding out what's going on out and about. Get on the crystal balls and make your spellcraft checks and let's see what's out there. Now, obviously, modern day, you're going to have, you know, depending on the level of expertise, you could either have just a laptop, you know, with, with, and you tap into the Wi-Fi. Let's say it's in um, like a storage space, like a storage place, like CubeSmart or U-Haul or whatever. Mm-hmm. Any kind of warehouse. Yeah. Well, offices have Wi-Fi. So, yeah, if you just tap into the Wi-Fi, you could sit there and, you know, do something like that and at least get some Internet access. Just, you know, hack the password, you know. Sure. If you can, if you can hijack somebody else's Wi-Fi, it's always going to be, you know good for you well yeah but i mean and and i mean obviously depending on the level of tech i mean you could have a whole room where you could do net running if you're into cyberpunk or far future where as long as you have a quiet place to sit lay down and jack in yeah you can sit there and do your net running from the base and just not even leave the base just do everything in cyberspace right well you know you can go a lot of other directions too for example um what I was going to say is that the uh, uh, one of the things that was quite possible, it was not very popular because of what went into it, but uh, shortwave radio and uh, other... Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, a lot of people would put up these really big towers for those, okay? And, you know, and it's quite it, it would be quite reasonable for you to say, yeah, I'm, I'm a big whatever, you know... Um, uh, I, I'm, you know, short shortwave radio or whatever like that. Radio. Ham radio, yeah. right? Yeah. And just put up a really big tower, and then at the top of the tower, you can have all kinds of stuff up there. You can have cameras. You can have um, some kind of a laser um, transmitter that basically wherever you are, as long as there's line of sight to you, it can transmit information to you at you know at a very high density. Uh, and even under the worst case conditions, it could, you know, it could like blink, you know, with um, a Morse code, uh, which I think would still be, I think you should just use AM radio if you're going to do that. But I mean, you could basically just, you know, uh, uh, you could blink in some wavelength that's unseen by ice, uh, human eyesight, but you might pick it up with like an infrared camera. Yeah. And you could like send a signal that way to, to war- or just warn people by having a, a certain frequency of um of of light flashes or you know the lights that that a lot of times if they're big enough they have to have lights on them for to warn um you know airplanes and yeah and, if, and, if it's a structure high enough you have to have a light on top that's just like right FAA type stuff yeah Oh, sure, sure. And I'm saying is that that kind of stuff allows you to, you know, put all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, it can become a, 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 a tactical platform there. Now, of course, if it, if the, if the place is getting attacked, it's probably going to go down first. But I'm saying up till then, you know, one of the biggest problems that people always have is, is, is being able to transmit information. I mean, your Wi-Fi, uh, if you can set up some kind of a you know parabolic reflector on it, you can get your Wi-Fi to go like hundreds of feet further than you normally would be able to do. And by putting it having your it, putting it up on top of a tower, you can actually get that. You know, or you can use as we were talking about ham radio. Packet radio is a form of transmission that they can send actual information like over computer lines too. I don't know. I don't know what the baud rate is, or you know how much how, how much you could do. But I know that they used it as a means of of communicating between computers 
over continents, you know, using uh, using ham radio. My my friend John is into that and, and uh, used to tell me stories about that sort of thing. Um, of course, uh, you know, being able to contact, you know, your your friends, you know, your, the, the other people in your team that are out in the field, the higher up you are, the better your chances of transmitting is going to be. So, I mean, it's, I, I'm really in favor of that sort of thing. Now, you need backups, of course, because if someone takes out your tower, you're going to need to have other things. But, you know, and, um, yeah. and, you can, and you can hide those things, too. Like, you can have really hard point, you know, um, you know microwave transmitters that could be built into all kinds of met- metallic things. So it'd be really hard to take them all out without having some way of being able to really focus down on them. You know, and um, and then because once you get inside, you're going to have a problem because all that rebar and all that concrete is going to make it really hard to communicate. Yeah, yeah. Without some kind of an infrastructure inside to keep everything in tune with each other. So you're going to probably have to run some some uh, transmission lines and repeaters and stuff like that all through your building as well. Or you could even do the old-fashioned way, which is you could set up you know conduits that are connected to each other and you could actually bang on them to send signals you know from one end of the complex to the other using some kind of tap code hmm. Hmm. Okay. And especially if your opponent knows how to jam radio and other types of transmissions they they could e- they could isolate you but this would still be a way of you communicate with each other and what are they going to do they can't they can't basically rip out all the pipes no no so you know if at spe- worst they might listen in if they understood the tap code, yeah. it would be fine. Of yeah, course, that's so you don't want to get captured because then they'll say, "Tell us what they're saying." Yet you, you get to find out how good of a liar you are. So, but uh, but once you're outside, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, just think about all the '70s movies where they the hero had to pull off, you know, off the road and go in and go to a a, a local coin op telephone to call somebody. To tell them the information that was essential for them to have to save somebody. Pick up, pick up. They're coming for <laughs> you. Pick up. You know, so it'd be really great if you could like just hand them a, you know, a walkie-talkie that normally would have a five-mile range, but because of your tower, it actually has more like a twenty-mile range, and you're getting and you're having better transmission abilities than even the local cops. So. And it does, and it may not look like much. Like I said, it could look, just look like a, a ham radio tower. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, and under the worst case scenario, you say, "Oh, it's it's." They say, "What is that?" And you just say, "Oh, I, I had a really bad experience with lightning striking my home. That's a that's a lightning arrester. That's why it's made out of metal and it's so strong because I don't want ever, I, I want lightning to hit it and not my house." Yeah. So every place I go, I always put that up, and and there'll be like you know, if you got some cool looking modeling on your body, like where you know lightning hits you and caused all your skin melanin to migrate in weird ways, you know, give you part of your affectation. You get that little spiral pattern that lightning strikes suffer. Uh, Sometimes it's spider webby. Yeah, yeah, it's weird stuff. Well, the only other thing I I, I think that we haven't talked about is that you got to have at least one room in the house. Uh, in the base, which is designed for basically uh, logistics or data gathering and analysis, whether you are using computers, whether you're throwing projection screens up on the walls, whether you just got you know w- walls of books and drawers of maps 
and uh, whatever you might need. You need a place where you can really sit down and plan, you know, plan out what your your next move is going to be or or you just get an, a really good idea of what, you know, an area is like before you go and, and go there and investigate it or explore it or, you know, do whatever you're going to do. Um, you know, like if, if you're going to go visit some tribe, uh, it'd be, and you've been able to send a drone out there overhead, well, then you can make a model or at least project a model of the, of the whole village down on top of a, a big table and go and say, all right, so this is over here's where the chief's locate, uh, place is. And over here is where the witch doctor is. And you know, those two are in cahoots, you know, and we have one person we've already contacted and they live over here. You know, and uh, that's the that's the, we're going to have to come in, you know, off to the east and then in because we want to avoid these three game trails where all the the you know, all, all the, the the hunters of the tribe are going to be moving around on. Uh, I mean, that's that's sort of room is is really necessary, uh, and it makes a great party. Not this makes a terrible party room, but I'm just <laughs> it's it's good to have that for the cartographers in the group. It makes a great party room. Yeah. Well, right. I'm, I, you don't want to get all that on your on your maps. Things hey, like that. It's, two words, and I because of planning campaigns, map porn. Just saying, you know, okay. there's nothing like a well drawn map, folks. Just yeah, I got gotcha. you. But um, yeah, and you get to and you get to put all the really really big printers in there. You know, you might even have like you know a, one of those big arms that has like a a a. a, a, a uh, an ink sprayer on the end of it, and it literally can like paint a mural on something. You know, you can get cloth, lay it out, and do a mural, and then put that over top of your vehicle to to disguise it somehow. And I mean, yeah, that's more in the fabrication area. But I mean, since it is a map room, and it, you probably are going to need to mark up things and maybe print out new maps, maybe even really big maps. You know, here's a map of the world for you, Your Highness. You know, and you just roll it up and take it in because uh, actually some of the maps, uh, not maps, some of the scrolls that they had in places like the uh, Library of Alexandria, they were like 20 foot tall. They were ginormous. They would literally just, they would bring out a little space of it about maybe two or three foot wide and vertically it was 20 feet. Oh, it was yeah. just like, you know. Chat, you know, one piece of information after another piece of information. There's just they just knew where the, where to unroll it to to show the important stuff. Rather, because you didn't like open it up and read from one end to the other. You know, it's it, because of the way they uh, that they were. You know, now that is what you carry with you. But I'm saying, but in a lot of places like you know libraries, they they would write. You know, that's how they would be able to keep all their histories together. Is that they just had this ginormous scroll made out of you know, uh, papyrus or uh, vellum or something yeah. like that. So, uh, and they would just unroll it a little bit at a time and, and have stuff in it. So, uh, anyways, uh, so you might have that kind of fabricating type, you know, inking kind of thing, uh, apparatus in there, or just regular dye sublimation printers and other things like that. Especially if, you, you know, it might be the place where you do all your uh, makeup and your... Um, uh, and, and facial appliances and things like that, because you'll have your reference material there, and uh, and, and you'll you'll have your computers if available hooked into that to help you run those those kinds of things, rather than having to go to an entirely different room and 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 
But of course, if it's noisy to make, you might want those fabrication devices in another room entirely. It's, there's a lot of options, but I think they definitely need a big map uh, logistics planning room for people to basically get in there and bang on tables and jump up on tables and make stirring speeches and 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 all that kind of stuff. Jonathan, what do you think? Uh, definitely, and uh, that's also where you that's where your data storage is probably going to also be like everything that's coming in from whatever sources whether it be magical technological any of your re recon information is coming in through there and it's going straight into a hard drive external hard drive it's going into a scroll a book however it is so that if you do need to bug out this is the place you burn yeah yeah so this is the place we also keep that one chest that's got all the chains on it. You know, the curse box. Oh, oh okay. It <laughs> <laughs> has things in it, cursed items in it, or, oh, yeah. or some, some beast that's trying to get out. And you put it in the, because you said it's the place you're going to burn. So yeah, do you put, yeah. put it in that room, or is there going to be another burn room even more potent for that particular thing? Depends on the thing. Honestly, I mean, I think maybe letting this thing out is how you burn it, depending on what it is. Ooh, there's that. Oh, you know, one of the best ways of uh, of taking down your making sure that the other people don't get your base is to let loose something that really is cheesed off at your base. Mm. <laughs> so yeah, there's that. Good idea, John. That magma demon you captured as you were building the base, you know, five months ago, was really not happy. Yep. Okay, you're free. Have fun. We're out. <laughs> we're out. Yeah. Okay. Uh, should you? Uh, I mean, a lot. Of, one of the problems about this, is, of course, is all these. You know, uh, is hiding or whatever. All the, you know, the, the the support stuff like the air conditioning units and the uh, and the water suppression, you know, the fire suppression things and stuff like that. And a lot of times they put all that kind of stuff on the roof, which is great until someone hits your roof with mortar fire. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But so, do you think that uh, that you should make sure you have a spot on the roof for like a heliport, or uh, uh, or is it should that just be another location nearby? Probably want another location nearby. Now, again, unless you have a place you mentioned earlier, a aircraft hangar. Now, if you got that, you might want the heliport. Yeah, have that outside off off a bit. So. Well, yeah. if you have an aircraft hangar, if it opens up like a clamshell, then you can just land the helicopter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, okay. So uh, I do like, you know, good, going off the roof for like, you know, um, jet packs and things like that. Because it's always nice to get a little bit of a buffer when you're flying off of something. Yeah, you got that 20-foot space. You know, the whole, th whenever I see like movies where planes just basically topple off the edge of cliffs and manage to right themselves and pull up before they hit the surf below, I'm always like, yeah, there should have been a better way of doing this. You should have at least had a ramp that you went up, you know, before you did that. But, uh, yeah. Okay. So anything else about a base you want to talk about, Trav? Uh, did we talk about? Well, garage facilities, if you have a vehicle there, obviously you're... And I mean, this ties into the fabrication stuff, but you're going to want the lift, you know, to lift a car up to fix the undercarriage yeah, of it. Yeah. Uh-huh. You're going to need auto supplies, which, depending on your vehicle, 
If it's just, yeah, I drive around a black sedan, fine. But if you're doing something like the Batmobile, your average service station, you know, garage might be a little wanting. Yeah, they they don't have all the nuclear, you know, pellets. That, that right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to need to, depending on what you do, and if it's a fantasy campaign, stables. And all the accoutrements you need to care for beasts of burden, horses, whatnot. But yeah, if you're doing something like a modern day base, yeah, you're and you have a vehicle, you're going to need to have stock up on all the just for maintenance. You know, like uh, in Justice League, you had Bruce there working on the Flying Fox, and it was basically an aircraft carrier. And you saw he had the lift, and he had you know the oil drain pan and all that stuff going. And of course, Bruce has the money for that, Bruce yeah. Wayne. But yeah, you're going to still need. A place for vehicle maintenance and storage if you have vehicles. Sure. And of course, you need to maintain all those secret compartments. Well, yeah. You know, so again, yeah. that, that, that could be done in your fabrication lab, but you're just going to need a place to keep oil, lubricants, fuel, parts that are easily replaced, like filters, belts, what have you, you know. Yep. And yep. this is bad. I work in an auto parts warehouse, and I should be coming up with a list of this stuff, and no, I'm not. <laughs> it's yep. late, folks. Well, your 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 apocalypse, you know, your apocalypse um, uh, land train always is going to be happier with with fresh oil. Well, yeah. How about you, Jonathan? Anything else? I think we've covered the basics. Anything else is going to be very setting specific. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening to us. We hope that you got some ideas on how to make your base, how to stock it, how to protect it, and possibly where to put it. And we know that this is all going to change depending upon the genre you play and how much your resources are and, you know, whether you're doing this, uh, uh, you know, whether you're, you're, you're doing this as friends or enemies to wherever place that you're going to be. But we hope that these ideas that we presented is, are going to galvanize you to maybe make a, something, a special place for you and your players to hang out in that'll be really your own and have all those little nooks and crannies filled with all the things that make your heart feel warmer when you're playing your games. And we'll have more for you. So until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.